0: Um, Hey, everybody. Um, We're joined here on one of our ASCO GU updates. I'm with Brian, of course, um, Andrea Neckie. Andrea, you were with us a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about taxanes with immune checkpoint inhibition. Today, you're going much, much earlier in your ASCO GU presentation. You're talking about non-muscle invasive bladder cancer and KEYNOTE fifty-seven, which was a, st- a study originally presented by Arjun Balar. I think Arjun, it was the first podcast we made with Seth Lerner and Arjun. That's right. There were four yeah. people. Good memory. There were four. Yeah, I'm I'm getting better at this now, and I'm warming up. And uh, Arjun, <laughs> um, Arjun, then talked about this cohort of essentially BCG refractory CIS with a CR rate of forty percent. That drifted down a bit with time, but it got FDA approval because there were these FDA had released some guidelines. So it was a single arm trial of only 100 patients, um, and I think that's. And we did a podcast recently with Sam Chayme, looking at IL15. So there've been new drugs developed in that space. There's instilladrin as well, other agents in that BCG. Um, refractory CIS population, but we've all been waiting with bated breath, Andrea. This is the longest warm up in history. Seriously. Um, <laughs> we've been waiting with bated breath for cohort B. And cohort yeah. B is um, the same population, essentially. So, BCG refractory, um, and there's special definitions of BCG refractory. We'll come to that in a second, I guess. But this is the papillary cohort. So, it's the relapse with papillary disease, T1 disease. And actually, that population normally goes to cystectomy. Doing cystectomy on T1 pop disease is pretty unpopular all round. We need to do better. And this, I think, is perhaps the most robust data we've seen in this space. Andrea, welcome. Sorry about the intro, <laughs> and, uh, and
1: and and let us know what it showed. Thank you, Tom, and uh, thank you, Brian, <laughs> and uh, and welcome, everyone. It's uh, really again a pleasure to be here, and thank you for highlighting the the, the result of this study. Uh, so, as you mentioned, Kino fifty seven. Uh, and with a f- uh, phase two study uh, with temporalism and monotherapy in patient B- BCG unresponsive responsive high risk non-massive invasive bladder cancer. Uh, we do have uh, a very important and shared definitions here, the definition of high risk non-massive invasive disease, the definition of adequate BCG therapy, and the definition of uh, BCG and responsive tumors. These are all definitions that are really well taken uh, in the, by the community of uh, urologists and oncologists. So a very, very clean uh, population. And we are here dealing with the patient with the BCG unresponsive uh, tumor. As you mentioned, the court B of the 57 study uh, enrolled patients with um, papillary disease, so high-grade TA or T1 disease without any CIS component at the centralized revision. Uh, and the patient received... Uh, uh, the same uh, period of treatment as in cohort A. So up to two years, uh, 35 uh, approximately administration of, uh, of a pembrolizumab monotherapy. And the primary endpoint for cohort B, uh, as, com- they, uh, as compared to the cohort A, was, uh, was, uh, was a bit different uh, because in this case, in cohort B, the primary endpoint was one year high-grade disease-free survival uh, while in the court A for CIS was a complete response. So why here? Because we, we do have a population which is already completely resected. So the point here is how to best uh, prolong the period of uh, of um, uh, non-evidence disease uh, uh, in this very high risk of relapse population. So Andrea, and that... before you launch into results, yeah. can you talk about, uh, as you say, all visible disease resected
2: prior to starting Pembro? Yeah. How was yeah. that standardized across the study? Did everybody have to get a repeat TUR with a random biopsies to rule out CIS? What was the what was sort of the entry yeah. onto the study?
1: Yeah, of course, the TURBT the, uh, the should have, done, have been done uh, at least uh, uh, not later than, uh, than 12 weeks prior to enter the study, and all the patients should have... Uh, uh, the evidence of um, uh, non-visual uh, disease uh, at the time of cystoscopy. And uh, if they had any, any evidence or any suspicious disease uh, at cystoscopy uh, during the screening phase, the patient should have undergone uh, another uh, retur for, uh, for completeness and for, for removing any uh, grossly residual disease uh, prior to enter the study. So clearly here, uh, we are not. Uh, we are overcoming the issue, potentially overcoming the issue of, uh, of CR, and we are, uh, and are projecting to, to a to a longer term um, endpoint. Of course, uh, you mentioned a very, very very good point related to the uh, to the fact that, that there might be uh, an heterogeneity and a bias in the bias in the in the in the quality of the TUR. It's mm-hmm. a it's a long dated debate. Uh, the quality of the TUR. It's a, it may be different uh, uh, according to the to the center and to the volume of the disease. And, of course, it may be potential bias for the study.
0: Andrea, I'm going to keep going with bias and heterogeneity. You've got a TA patient population and you've got a T1 patient population. Yeah. Are they both? Um, what is it both G3? Is it um, is there, and what's the variability of those populations in terms of the outcomes is? You know how, how variable is this disease? Because, um, clearly, um, you know, there is a difference between the relapse of these populations. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the, the um, if you look at the, the the definition of a high risk non-muscle invasive disease, there is of course uh, uh, the CIS component, which is not included here, yeah, and there is uh, the high grade TA. And yeah. any grade T1 disease. Uh, see, the, uh, these are the, the, the components that are currently define the definition of high risk non muscle invasive disease. So, uh, meaning that in terms of um, outcome, in terms of risk of uh, disease relapse or uh, recurrence or progression, uh, basically high grade TA is aligned with, um, with, uh, with any grade T1 in, um, and in particular in the population of patients who had already received who had experienced any any adequate BCG therapy um, the, the 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 outcomes and the, and the and the risk is is basically overlapping but here we we don't have any very robust data in terms of uh, prognosis in terms of outcomes in terms of uh, Uh, any other uh, long-term endpoints because here we are dealing with something else compared to radical cystectomy and the literature is very scarce and sparse uh, related to any uh, different standard of care options in this patient population so it's quite difficult to to make any any robust assumption regarding prognosis and the risk of relapse and the outcomes of standard treatments in this patient population.
0: What are your results show
1: The results show that regarding the primary endpoint, so one year high-grade disease-free survival, uh, it was uh, 43.5%. The disease-free survival curve is is basically showing uh, a plateau uh, at 40% starting at uh, month in between 18 and 21. So after the 18-month follow-up period, there is a flat curve. And uh, the, there is the, the flat curve on uh, and set at forty percent rate of um, of disease-free survival. Uh, so, and we do have uh, information that also if we look at the um, disease-free survival for any disease relapse, so including all type of uh, relapses, so also low-grade disease relapse, results are basically the same. One year, any any disease-free survival. Is 41, 42 percent, and um, and of course uh, PFS uh, progression-free survival. So the time to to progression or worsening of disease towards muscle invasive disease and overall survival are uh, as a, as. Um, has anticipated quite good in this patient population. So I'm not clearly a, a, good, a good end point in this, uh, in this population.
2: And Andrea it's important to say the median follow-up <clears throat> was almost four years, I believe. Yeah. So pretty mature data took a while
0: for Andre, this to come out. Andre, how many patients have, uh, have relapsed with T2 disease? And how many patients have had a cystectomy?
2: Yeah.
0: How many patients have died and how many patients have you Tom lost? Tom likes to ask four
2: questions at I'd once.
0: Like, I'd like to ask four or five because of my <laughs> really poor introduction. Uh, and how many patients have, have, have you lost to follow up?
1: So uh, the, um, uh, we do have the, 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 the numbers in terms of uh, uh, PFS to worsen, of grade or stage of death. So one year uh, progression for survival is uh, approximately 89%. Uh, PFS to what's that?
0: Muscle... That's that one year progression without T2 without muscle. So, 11 got muscle invasive disease.
1: Yes, uh, in within, the... a, yes. within a year, 11 percent relapsed with muscle invasive disease. Exactly. In one year. And, okay, uh, and uh, one year overall survival is, um, is uh, just a bit uh, uh, below the, the 97%. So, uh, we have lost that uh, one year, approximately three. Uh, 3% of the patient population. Uh, so, and, and, and of course, we, we, don't have, we, do have, uh, we do have information related, important information related to the safety uh, that is clearly indicated that we did not uh, lose patients for, uh, for two-minute related adverse event. Uh, there were zero events uh, of fatal events and the, the, the safety profile, even a long-term even in terms of uh, uh, deterioration data, in terms of quality of life, or were pretty good and long term in patients who were continuing treatment uh, beyond the one year or the eighteen months period of treatment. So um, the, the results in terms of uh, uh, strong uh, um, strong events like uh, death, for disease progression, or progression to metastatic disease, or progression to muscle invasive disease are uh, fairly in line with the with the data with the very few data that have been reported also with other newer therapies like uh, another faragen or other therapies uh but again it's it, it's quite we, difficult to, make, we, to try we to, don't to, have to we don't in. have data
0: for those other drugs in this particular setting this is a bit yeah. unusual andrea it took three years extra or four years extra or three years to get this data compared to cohort a this the the cis cohort you know clearly if this is benefiting patients we'll talk about benefit in a second why has it taken so long to see the one year pfs data when actually i guess the data's been available for two or three years is that fair
1: well, I, I think that uh, I, I, it's good enough to say that uh, we should be extremely cautious in this uh, patient population to declare uh, that the drug is um, seem to be uh, effective uh, because that the one year uh, the one year disease for survival endpoint, uh, of course, it's it's, it's uh, the DFS that is set for for cohort B, but uh, it's um, it was a very uh, good decision to make uh, an extra time waiting for longer term follow-up because uh, there is uh, a lot of uncertainty regarding the endpoints in this uh, in this population uh, and we we don't have a strong benchmark for one year two year or three year uh, disease for survival or progression for survival in this disease we don't have robust data on uh, standard treatments uh, or other experimental therapies so waiting a bit more uh, compared to the to the to the what it was uh, planned in the primary endpoint, it was a good decision.
0: Don't tell us anything that's on the public domain. But I guess the question that the listeners and myself would be saying is: Are we going to go down the same route with an FDA approval based off 100 patients with all with with uncertainty? Um, you know, it, do, in your opinion, is this an attractive treatment option? For I mean, basically, I'm asking: What's the conclusion of your your final slide? Is your opinion this is a, an attractive treatment option for these patients, or do we have to wait for studies like the six seven six study, the randomized trials, before we actually jump in? Because there is so much
1: uncertainty. Yeah, I think that uh, the the um, the most important doubt emerging from this trial is that we may um, reconsider, for sure, the need for uh, randomized studies in this papillary disease population. Because uh, when trying to, to interpret the, the, the results, and of course these results set among the, the most uh, intriguing results reported in the literature, and they're pretty much in line with the, with the nadoferrogen data in the papillary population. If you look at the paper, there is an indication of the outcome of uh, uh, one year disease-free survival in, uh, with in in, um, in this papillary population. It was Pretty much uh, overlapping, 43% uh, uh, one-year high-grade disease-free survival with the lower numbers, uh, shorter follow-up, and so on. And we we have very very uh, limited um, uh, remaining literature on other on other therapies. Uh, the same combination of docetaxel and gemcitabine intravesically uh, was reported to be affecting in a very very few patients with the with the papillary disease i guess the point
0: i'm making andrea is that you know in path cr rates in bladder cancer you know the turbt alone is associated with a path cr at the time of cystectomy and probably about 15 percent of patients
1: yeah
0: so you know there is a benchmark although the although your dfs is 45 percent you know the one year dfs for no treatment you know, that could be 25% i would guess and if all the drugs are coming in about the same at 45% you know it's a bit like that path CR where you know all the data coming in about the same point it means is are the drugs all equally effective or actually is this a valid endpoint
1: yeah for sure that the 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 impact and um, and the, the differential impact based on the quality of the tor it's a major bias underlying this this data, and this is basically the reason why FDA is still recommending uh, a randomized design prior to move uh, towards a potential registration of the of any new drug in this special profession. So let me ask.
2: But- let me ask. <clears throat> do you think randomized trials are possible, or your what's your personal opinion? Can we do robust single arm trials? Standardize the the baseline TUR, etc., and and then come up with a benchmark response rate whether it's 40 or yeah. 50 and say you know what this is good enough and we should approve drugs on this basis what's your personal opinion
1: my personal opinion is that these these trial designs are basically impossible to be uh, to be run and uh, are uh, the randomized the are bias the QR, yeah is it basically yeah. impossible to be to be, uh, to be accounted for in uh, in multi-center studies this is the reason why I think that after the the uh, after the, 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 we have looked with in depth at the, the results of Keynote 57 Core B, we should, that there is room for rediscussing a way of potential move forward in the in this patient population. Also considering the fact that the major movements with the other trials that are ongoing with, the, with other experimental therapies or combination therapies are all or most of them are focusing in the CIS population. So I clearly have difficulties identifying studies that are putting a coin uh that are betting a coin with the with the new therapies in um, in the, this special population of papillary disease so it's it's also very very difficult to to ident- to, uh, to to foresee a future for any new therapies or combination therapies in this special population this is the reason why pembrolizumab data will be will likely be the, the few data that we will have uh, for uh, for uh, for, uh, for many years
0: Andre, you talk about um, you talk about the need for a discussion with multi stakeholders regarding regulatory pathways for uh, in this setting. Um, yeah. what does that what does that mean? Is that coming back to this randomization issue, or is it coming back to the area or the geography of of um uh, of of the uh, of the recruitment? Yeah. Or- Quality of the TURBT because it's quite provocative you're basically saying we've done this study we quite like the results I think you're saying I think you're saying that you think there's activity beyond you know beyond um, just the TURBT which I think we would agree with we've not talked about biomarkers and I'm waiting for yeah. Brian to answer that question with bated breath um, <laughs> and we'll get there because I suspect it'll be our last question but I guess the question really is are you saying that actually we've done this trial? It looks pretty good. The data we think is impressive, but and there's no way we can randomise effectively, and therefore we need to talk again. What? Where are you with that?
1: So it's a it's a basically the the the, the solution may be uh, the combination of both of the factors that you mentioned. Uh, we should be practical, uh, very practical in this um, in this space. Uh, because uh, because uh, patients are basically asking to us or coming to us to our clinic asking for something uh, to be delivered in the, in, the, in the with the aim of sparing the, their bladder. Uh, on the other on the other hand, uh, we have difficulties in identifying in the literature or in our in our armamentarium a standard of care of chemotherapy or any other uh, intervesical therapy that is that they should be considered as a really standard of care uh, today uh, and we we are still missing uh, as we have already said uh, benchmarks for uh, for the endpoints uh, for survival endpoints so uh, there is also the, the 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 difference in between US uh, and then the European situation, for example, because uh, uh, most of the, the European sites, are, for example, are, are using very, very infrequently a combination of chemotherapy, for example, for this patient population uh, that are more frequently used in the, in the United States. So it's a combination of factors that, 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 that are likely to result uh, in, um, in a need for uh, rediscussing again the way to move forward and developing new drugs in this uh, very special. Patient population that is not well suited for for clinical trials by definition, uh, because uh, because all of the factors that we, we have discussed today, but they, they but with with uh, which clearly uh, deserve any 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 newer therapies and an th- improvement in treatments and uh, the outcomes.
2: Andrea, I'm going to ask Brian's question. Um, <laughs> Tom, yeah. let me talk. Let me talk. Okay. So. So, Andrea, I agree with you from a regulatory standpoint. I think we need to figure out how to develop drugs in this setting, short of big randomized trials that may not be possible, because yeah. this kind of therapy is very appealing to patients, right? I mean, we, we all see patients all the time who want to avoid cystectomy yeah. at any cost, right? Um, and and we'd love to do that, but it's just not standard yet. So yeah. I think it's very appealing, and obviously there's issues of safety, et cetera, but I think it's very appealing from a, just a clinical care standpoint. Yeah. So, So we as a field need to figure it out. Um, my last question, Tom, you'll be surprised at this. What about biomarkers? Oh, that's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> so annoying. PDL1 has been unreliable across bladder cancer. Did you look at it? Did you look at the combined positive score or, or other things? Or what, what are your plans in that regard? Yeah. Uh,
1: so, uh, as of today, we have looked at the, the baseline clinical characteristics and uh, not, uh, not yet uh, uh, by baseline biomarkers, including the PDL1 expression. Uh, they will be likely presented at next meetings. Um, the, the, important, the important point in terms of uh, uh, patient characteristics, uh, that is uh, the, the, and the, the only point that is, uh, that is relevant in my view to, to report, is the fact that, that there may be some, uh, some difference in terms of disease-free survival between persistent disease and recurrent disease, meaning that recurrent disease uh, benefited the most uh, uh, from a pembrolizumab treatment uh, as compared to persistent uh, <laughs> PTA or PT1 disease, meaning that there might be an underlying different biology. Work. And how do you and define so-
0: those two populations for, for us, Andrea? Just define those two populations.
1: So persistent disease is uh, the disease which is uh, which is not uh, which which uh, which lacks a, a period of uh, completeness of, uh, of, of, of histology. So for patient to for which you don't have an histology of uh, complete uh, of absence of any viable disease in between the TUR and in between treatment periods. So you don't have any, any period of uh, any uh, disease. Every time you do a
0: biopsy, you find disease.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so the disease, there, it
0: doesn't work. Pembrolizumab, what's the CR rate in that? What's the disease-free survival rate? In so that the part?
1: disease-free survival is uh, just uh, below 35%, uh, while uh, in the recurrent patient population, uh, jumps to almost 60% because so, you
0: could argue at that point you know that persistent population which never the disease has never um gone away in inverted commas you could say well that might be the population where you know, if you wanted to show real activity of drug, that might be the easiest place because yeah in, inevitably in those in intermittent disease some patients are going to have prolonged disease yeah. free survival but in yeah. that persistent population you, you're showing 30 you can get rid of the disease in 30 percent. So. That might be a good place to start with your biomarker
1: work. Yeah, yeah, of course. But we don't. We and uh, for uh, for uh, answering your question, unfortunately, we don't have any any robust data on the biomarker uh, association so far. Should we wrap it up, Brian? Yeah, I think
2: so. After think my three introductions,
0: do you want to close it?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I won't have to do three closings. Andrea, thank you. This is these are great data. Uh, congrats on the presentation, and I, I think we look forward to more. More in this space because it's clearly an interesting yeah. and active space. So, and, appreciate, Andrea, appreciate I've been it.
0: invited to a
1: party in Milan with you. I think at EAU, I'm really excited about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you will be invited again and again this year, also. So, I so like, look forward to be for prepared. My be prepared to alcohol and to Milan. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you soon, <laughs> Andrea. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much, guys. Bye, bye.